When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So Justin, you're uh, you're you're technically a millennial, right? Technically speaking, yes. I don't feel like a millennial, but you know, by the year count, I qualify. Yeah, How, how's that working out for you? Uh, it works out great because I, I feel so young. So unlike you, I get to tell people I'm a millennial, and they think I'm like way younger than I am, um, which which works out great for me. So I love it. That, that does work out pretty good. For you. <laughs> you're a good looking bastard, man. So that that helps. I uh, I, I am I'm born in 1970, so I'm uh, I am the first generation of uh, Xers. So that's which is pretty interesting. Yeah. 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 And I and I'm born I'm born in '83. So uh, we have a little bit of an age gap here. So, but it's good because we get different perspectives on different things. I love it. So, what do you know about marketing to like uh, this new generation, like the the Gen Zs and the you know? Well, I know somebody that knows a thing or two, and that's uh, that's what I want to talk about today. So, no way, no <laughs> way, ladies that's and gentlemen. Right. I'm Andre Sturgeon, and I'm Justin Womack. We are the Marketing Geeks. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, all right, all right. So, ladies and gentlemen, marketing geeks, welcome to the show. Uh, we, and we have we have an exciting an exciting show today because we have a expert on marketing to millennials and marketing to Gen Z, and just a different take on marketing in general. So today we're joined by Nadia Genevieve Masri, who was listed on the Forbes 30 Under 30 list just recently, and she is an expert at building the next generation of consumer insights. So Nadia is the founder and CEO of Perksy, a next-gen marketing intelligence platform that leverages the power of mobile devices, and she is leveraging that to basically help brands get hyper-targeted data, hyper-local audiences for uh, millennials and Gen Zs, by motivating them through incentives. And so she now uses a, a point system for completing surveys for, uh, for consumers out there to help companies get data. And she's working with companies like Smuckers and Pepsi. And some of these companies are paying up to $300,000 a year to get their queries featured. Wow. So this is, uh, this is a big deal. And the completion rates on the surveys that are going out are 85%, which is much, much higher than your average marketing surveys that go out to consumers. So this is this is a big shift in the landscape. I love the direction well, she's taking. How she's doing it, man. Yeah, let's just get into it. Yeah, yeah. So welcome to the show, Nadia Masri. Hey, guys. It is a pleasure to have you on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thanks so much for having me today. Excited to, uh, to be on the show. Um, so to tell you a bit more about Perksy. So we are a next-gen consumer insights platform, and we power real-time research with everyday consumers, uh, mostly millennials and Gen Z, through a mobile app 
that rewards them for answering questions from brands. So users download the Perksy app and they can answer these interactive gamified questions um, in a format called Stacks. So we never use the word survey. It's like a dirty word for consumers. <laughs> yes, I, I, I 100% understand that. <laughs> yeah, totally. And they uh, collect points for every stack that they answer and they can redeem their points in our perk store at over a hundred participating retailers. So like Nike, Nordstrom, Sephora, Amazon, Uber, Delta Airlines, whatever you want. Um, and then on the brand side, what we're doing is providing them with real-time feedback from these hyper-targeted and hyper-local audiences, especially that hardest to reach consumer, uh, the millennial and the, the Gen Zer. Wow. I got, I got so many questions here. Okay. So first of all, like kudos for you for like coming up with this I mean, market research, like targeted market research in a way that does real-time feedback. Brilliant concept. Uh, I wish I had thought of that, but I didn't. <laughs> well, what, I, what I love about this whole thing, I just want to say, Andres, is that she's flipping the script on the way traditional marketing works, though, because you're, you're incentivizing consumers to give, I mean, I mean, I'm using, not using your terminology here, Nadia, but you're incentivizing consumers to give their data to companies by offering rewards like these gift cards. And, and you're essentially, you're flipping the script from this disruptive model of we're going to show up on your Facebook feed to now you want to give us your data because we're giving you perks for it. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And the great news about that too is like, you know, we're, we're a fairly young team, at least like our founding team is. So the way that we think about data privacy I think is is in line with um, how our peers think about it. So mm -hmm. when you're signing up on the Perksy platform, sure, you're providing a lot of information, but none of it is personally identifiable. So, you know, we're never revealing a name, a phone number, an email address. Um, you know, we're, we're not we're not showing a brand, your your social media account. Meaning that when brands get this data, it's really just aggregated. So it's just, you know, if they see me, it's a 29-year-old female, lives in New York, works in tech, um, you know, has two, two kittens, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> okay. So they get some of the data, but they don't get the personal information. So we're not, we're not putting in our cell phone numbers. We're not putting in our addresses, but we are putting in our age. We are putting in our gender. We're putting in our, maybe our, our career. But what, what other things do you put in versus not put in? Just so I can get a full picture. So, um, you know, we start with a, with a personal quiz. So the kind of information that we collect is also different than, you know, the, the different than the data points that, um, have historically been collected in market research. So one of the things we think about too, is just how younger audiences identify. Um, so, you know, there's, there's this big shift in the way that we talk about, um, identity, the way that we talk about culture and ethnicity and race, the way that we talk about, um, sexual orientation. So, we have a lot more, there's a lot more optionality in our platform. So the way that you can choose to identify and how you would describe yourself is important because I mean, you know, if you have a, a Gen Zer who, um, you know, by, by on, on paper, perhaps they, they look like an, an everyday female, but they personally identify as male um, in a survey that that information needs to come to light because it changes the way that they live their lives. Right. Yeah. And more, so more I think those are important to consider. Exactly. Now, now I've got a couple of questions here. So the first one is, how do you get people to download the app? Like, how do you how do you do marketing for the app itself? So people will put it on there. Yeah. You know, because everything's screaming for attention. So how do you do that? Yeah, well, um, I actually come from a marketing background. So I would say, um, you know, I'm a marketer by profession, like, yes, an entrepreneur, but I think I'm only an entrepreneur because I'm really a marketer. <laughs> and uh, 
it's it, it, I've always found these these grassroots um, ways of of marketing in the early phases really really effective. So what we did is we really just you know did every did all our early user acquisition through campus and high school ambassadors. Mm. Um, so we just spread the good word. Um, so we we went out to everyone, even like my own network, and um, got everyone's cousins, younger sisters and brothers, uh, you know, goddaughters, godsons, um, however they were related to download the app. And then we built in a viral share loop inside the app itself, meaning that, um, you know, every time a user invites a friend, they're rewarded. Um, so once that friend uh, goes it becomes a true user on our platform, so signs up and answers a few a few stacks. Then the person who invited them gets rewarded. So think of it this way: like you invite twenty friends, you can make twenty bucks if all of them sign up and become users. So that was really effective, especially among those high school and, and campus ambassadors. I think there was one person who ended up getting like ten thousand points because he had like a small YouTube following and ended up like posting it on YouTube and being like, "Download Perksy using my code." <laughs> and because all of a sudden we just saw this like like a flood of points in like one user's account. And we're like, whoa, what's going on here? And then realized he had invited a bunch of people. Um, and then we started seeing a lot of that. Uh, people posting online. Thank you. Um, Thank you, one like random YouTuber. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. <laughs> we can't identify you. So I, I don't know your name, but but thank you. Um, so we... We just saw this, um, this, the, the traffic coming in from there and we were like, huh, cool. I love that. I love that idea though. You're, you're basically identifying, uh, you're using like influencer marketing, but not necessarily in the sense that you're grabbing social media influencers, uh, maybe, but you're grabbing people from schools, ambassadors, from colleges that have their own, uh, internal following, whether that's like offline or online and getting them to share this with their friends and then creating that, that kind of viral loop that, that slowly but surely builds us up. And then when you get somebody like that one YouTuber with a huge following, all of a sudden it explodes and that's where true virality comes into play. So. Yeah, I actually uh, myself went to high schools. So I, I went everywhere from the Dalton School in New York, um, which is a private school on the Upper East Side, to uh, going to um, like a school for troubled youth in California. So I went around because the idea, the reason we wanted to do this type of marketing first is because we wanted to build an audience that was um, comprised of real everyday people. So the actual folks who would be exposed to the marketing that these companies are creating, right? So if they want those audiences to be purchasing their products, we wanted to make sure that we could find those audiences to, to provide feedback on, um, you know, marketing, new product concepts, uh, comms, stuff like that. And I think that worked, you know, pretty, pretty well for us. That's, I mean, just that is, is amazing. I, I, I got my start doing uh, market research for films oh, wow. and getting people to, yeah. So, so we would show movies before they came out and then we would, you know, but, but it was all like, it was a card that people had to fill out, like, yeah. you know, a little questionnaire. Um, the fact that you can, you know, it's so valuable to listen to what your, uh, what your clients are, are saying. Uh, I tell the story about how I used to work for a uh, beauty brand and, uh, the, I was talking to the owner and I was like, you, we need to figure out a way that, that people, that you know how people found you at the point of sale when they open up the package, let's give them something that's, you know, a free mask or something. It's like valuable research. And he's like, well, I never fill those things out. Why would anyone else? So that's a really, really interesting point because, um, I, that's exactly how I feel. 
So when I, when I decided to start Perksy, it was after realizing that I uh, did not respond to any of these surveys. And I was like, wait a second, who are these brands talking to? And then I started asking around on the Harvard campus and talking to some, some of my peers and being like, do you guys fill out surveys for brands? And, you know, the overwhelming majority said no. And I'm like, so who are these brands talking to? And what's interesting about what you said is that we find that a lot of our customers use our app. So they'll download it. We find out because they tell us, right? Because, um, you know, we don't always have their their name, but they'll be like, oh, I have your app. I absolutely love it. And I'm like, really? Cool. Well, you're a CMO. So that's awesome. <laughs> and, the, and, and so if they find it fun and they find it engaging, I feel like that's a great, um, that's like a, a great way to measure the efficacy of how we've like how we've built Perksy, like w- what we've designed and and our way of reaching consumers and engaging them in the way that we do. Can I ask you, so how, how do you gamify this app to make it fun for younger demographics? Like how how is the what's the user experience like when somebody downloads the app and goes in? Like how how do you what have you added in to kind of make it like the most fun that it can be for somebody? Yeah, so a lot of it has to do with the uh, the design experience. So the way in which we've we've designed, I'm very very passionate about design. Um, I taught myself how to do it, um, therefore broke a million design rules. <laughs> but I think just the fact that I I studied psychology and um, you know I, it wasn't my major, but also studied um, the human brain. I just tried to you know pull some things in that I, I knew from there, I'm like, okay, well, what makes sense in this user experience? So the UX of this app needs to make sense and needs to be fun, but also just the, the flashiness, the sounds, um, uh, you know, the, the color scheme, everything was thought out to the point where like, we've put so much work into our design that we actually re- registered patents around it. <laughs> so oh, wow. we've, we've like filed for design patents um, because, you know, we worked on it for, like we worked on the app design alone for about a year before we ended up bringing it to market. Did you run like split tests on different colors and did you take it that far or did you like, or did you just kind of take like uh, re- psycho- psychological research and kind of just uh, leverage that? Or how, how did you decide like what colors to use and things like that? It was a ton of research. We we ended up later doing A-B testing on different visuals, but I already had my own research, given that this is my fourth company, I already had my own research on what has worked in a design capacity. Um, so I applied that that research. Um, but also just, you know, picking up on the research that had that has had been done yeah. by others, um, applying a lot of that too. So okay, a couple of a couple of questions here. First of all, um I, I wanna how how did you f- fund this thing while you were building it. I mean, you, you said this was your fourth company, but uh, uh, we had a guest on who was talking about they, they were building their platform. And they said um, that basically, if you want to build a platform, the first thing you do is open the window and throw a bunch of money out. <laughs> the the building a software. That was a software. That was a software oh, yeah. as a service program. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I drained my bank account. Yeah. Like absolutely. <laughs> did, did you have some angel investors or anything else that you, I did. you know, I did later. Okay. So I started off, it, it started off bootstrapped. Um, and then I managed to convince uh, my parents to put some money in the company. So actually, um, I had a very close relationship with my grandmother. And the year that I started Perksy, uh, she died. Um, and one of the things that, so my grandmother's Ukrainian. And um, she always said when I was younger. She said, Nasha Nadia, 
which means like our Nadia, she's going to be something like she's going to become something. And it, it's, it's probably a lot more compelling in Ukrainian, just the way that the language is phrased. <laughs> but um, she so she died in 2015 and um, her her house was sold. And, you know, the house was purchased in the 40s uh, for pennies. And of course, that part of Toronto um, became much more valuable uh, in later years. Uh, so, you know, that became a very popular area where her house was. And, you know, the 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 money was split amongst the three kids and my mom being one of them. And so there was a bit of money, um, you know, not much, it wasn't, you know, a, a ton, but it's, you don't need a ton to start, start a company. So it was enough to, you know, get the, get the ball moving and enable me to hire at least one employee, which is, is what that did. Um, so it actually is very meaningful to me because, you know, we bootstrapped. I, I also took some of the money that I had, um, made over time that I'd saved from my prior companies. Uh, so it was a, a combination of a bunch of things, but it gave me a bit of a, a little um, company egg. I call it a company egg. It's a nest egg, a company egg um, to work with. And how beautiful that, that the, the legacy of your grandmother lives on through this business that seems to be thriving. So it's, you know, it's, it's kind of like how it ripples out because the people who use it, you know, there's like the the touch of your grandmother is, touching all those people too. So that's, it's beautiful. Yeah. It, it means, so, I think about it a lot, actually. Um, just given the fact that I know you just remember the humble beginnings and I think it's a lot more personal that way. Um, but after about a year, I would say a year and a half of that, we raised some angel money. So we were blessed to have some wonderful angels who, who really believed in what it was that we were building. Um, and you know, in the really early stages before there was, there were any customers, um, they, they invested in the idea and they believed in me. They believed in, in the early team. And, um, that really, that really got us going. Did you have to lower your voice? Like, uh, you know, like, like, uh, like the Theranos CEO and get it really low so you could get the, get the people's attention. Wait, did I do did what? Do that? <laughs> did I do what? You lower your voice. No. Um, you lower your voice. Like full octave. No. However, um, one of the things that's really funny is, um, so right now you've caught me on a good day because I haven't been speaking much. I've been resting my voice since my, oh, my, yeah. my TED talk on Saturday, but I actually have two vocal nodes. So if you catch me um, on a Friday, by the end of the week, I sound like a jazz singer who's probably smoked many <laughs> cigarettes. <laughs> well, so, on, on the same note, on the same note, though, I want to I ask because you uh, you started this company what like four years ago roughly uh, around the age of what how old were you when you started the company 24 25 in that yeah range? i was i was 25 actually 25. Yeah, you're so right. i was you, i was actually 24 i was i was uh, three months away from turning 25 so yeah so you were able to uh you were able to land like clients like pepsi and smuckers and so like when andros talks about like talking in a different octave i mean one of the challenges with approaching this company is at least at least on a which may not be a real challenge but a lot of people have the the mental block of i'm too young to approach a company like this you know um and and maybe you know that i don't think that's always uh, the truth and obviously it's not because you successfully landed these companies but tell me about how did you land like smuckers and pepsi what did that look like because these are these are major major companies like uh how did you go from like building up you know using high schoolers and college uh, college influencers and youtubers to to then approaching a company like Pepsi and, and making the pitch and landing that client? So I started my first company when I was 17. So I've been building companies for about 12 years now. And I think it's like, 
by the time 2015 rolled around, I mean, we were still building. We, di we didn't start doing customer development until um, about 2017, um, which was... What was your first company my, my first, before we leave that? Yeah, so my first company was a local painting business. So I um, I ran a, a painting <laughs> franchise through College Pro Painters in, in Canada. Was it College and Works Painting? It, it was College Works? College Pro, College Pro, yeah. Yes. I mean, so it's funny because our last guest, our last guest did that too. I did that also. So we we all we have like three people in a row now that have done the college at least college pro or college works painting. It's the same model. Yeah, it's basically structured like an almost like a multi level marketing company, right? I mean, yeah, but, it's structured that way anyway. But at least yeah. like, the, the way that you think about it, though, is one of the things I really liked about it was they really do train you on how to run a business. So I don't know if if Absolutely. you know college works did the same thing as college pro, but they give us a giant binder and taught us things like how to run payroll, how to hire how to get worker safety insurance and all of these things that, yes. you know, you're not actually being taught in school. It was like, it was like a, a really effective education in uh, business operations. Absolutely. No, they, they did the exact same thing with me. Lots of tons of different trainings like that. And, and they approached me when I was at, I was at the university of California, Santa Barbara, when they came to me and I became a part of that program. So they, I think they're all over the uh well all over the north america apparently at least uh the, maybe two divisions of it but um yeah absolutely. it was it was life-changing um, so i mean we I had to do a door-to-door -door marketing that was, that was really great training for me but i think scratch, you know to answer so. your earlier question on you know how you go from from that to to landing big clients i think well a i i i kind of feel like a uh i've lived a thousand lives um i i i think i'm a bit of an old soul um so i just i relate to to those that are are buying our product. Um, I think I've just spent so much time sitting with them, um, you know, solving problems for them that, you know, it doesn't really, they don't feel that distant to me or, or hard to reach. And, you know, there, there are two core things here. The first is there's this hilarious Kevin Hart line that says, I hate when people say age is just a number, age is clearly a word. Um, and it's just, it, it, it's just so funny because I know it doesn't, it, it might not mean the same thing to you, but every time I, I think of that line, it's just, age doesn't really matter. Like it just does not matter. I think what matters is um, how you present yourself. It's your maturity. It's your experience. Um, it's how you show up in any situation. And that sort of leads me into to the next point, which is, um, you know, we were talking about this earlier in the green room, but um, emotional capital, the building of emotional capital, which is what my, my TEDx talk was on this weekend. It, when you're able to invest in. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. Yeah, it was just this weekend. Um, uh, and so when you invest in, you know, positive interactions and when you invest in building emotional currency um, with others, uh, your emotional wealth grows. And so emotional capitals is really just a, a bank account that you hold between other folk, or like with other folks. Um, and every interaction is an opportunity to grow or deplete that balance of emotional currency. And so I think for me, I spent so much time, like I really do love people. Like I love people. Um, you know, I, I know it sounds super cheesy, but I, I find them fascinating. I enjoy being with them. I'm, I really am a people person and I like getting to know uh, the people that I work with. And that doesn't just mean my teammates, but that also means uh, customers. I like taking the time to get to know them. I really do invest in the relationship because I do care about providing them with a solution that's going to work. And I think when you're able to develop that type of relationship, it makes a sales process a lot easier because it's like, you know, if I don't have the right solution for them, I'll recommend 
somewhere else that they can go. But the thing is, in the process of building that relationship, you get to ask them questions about your product and about their needs. Um, you know, you know, when you learn about a customer's wants, needs, and desires, it actually helps you frame the product. So I think we've gotten to a place where our product is super, super tailored to our buyer. Um, and that's just, you know, we've learned all that through through having conversations with them, spending time with them. It's basically like constant research that's taking place um, in the so background. How do you build um, how do you build emotional capital with your customers? are you are you uh, directly reaching out to them? Are you offering some kind of incentive through your app for them to have those conversations? or like how are you how are you doing that with your customers now? So um, do you mean customers or consumers? Like customers as in like those who who purchase the Perksy product or or users of the app? I guess um, either either or really. Um, so well, what, yeah. What, yeah, I'll lead with yeah. I'll lead with um, the customers uh, because those are the ones that I'm really building the relationship with. Based on our user numbers, uh, it would be super super hard for me to have that many relationships. But on the on the customer side, I think it's just like I'm also very fascinated by what they do. Um, so some of our stakeholders, yeah. you know, you first reach out. Sometimes they reach out to me. Uh, you know, they're interested in the product. It's just I think. It, it's it's trying to build a relationship that transcends a sales process. I actually do care about building a relationship and building a friendship with them. Um, and I just want to know, like, I think it takes a, it takes curiosity. Like you have to, you have to take the time to be like, I want to know what your life is like. I want to know what your job is like, like tell me like, and then if I can help, I, I will help. And if not, I have a new friend. I think you just need to show up. It's like the, I think it was Stephen Covey. I mean, sorry if I'm attributing that incorrectly, but I think it was he who said, um, if you want to uh, have a friend, be a friend. So it's really just showing up in that way and really treating these business interactions as something that are more than just, you know, just transactions. Is your customer typically the the CMO or is it like what, what, like what kind of marketing reps are, are end up being your customers for these big uh, companies? Is it, is it actually, do you directly can contact the CMO or is it usually like employees underneath the CMO? Um, you know, it really depends. We sell to different types of stakeholders. Uh, you know, whoever, you know, we have a lot of inbound. Um, so oftentimes, you know, I think I've, I've been really, really blessed and honored and humbled by the, the Forbes 30 under 30 experience. Um, you know, I, I got to headline the marketing and advertising category and that also exposed me to a lot of CMOs. Uh, and so I get to, yeah. to talk to them a lot and spend time with them. And as a result, you know, you, you can build those types of relationships. I think sometimes it's a CMO, sometimes it's a marketing manager, um, at agencies, it's going to be different. Um, you know, it, we've built relationships with everyone from, you know, the shopper insights manager, uh, at a, at a CPG company for a particular retailer to store operations, to CFOs and CMOs to, to even the CEO. So it really does depend, um, because different brands get different value from Perksy. Sometimes it's used by marketing departments. Sometimes it's used in, uh, in product, uh, innovation. Um, it's used by designers. Um, it, you know, Perksy can be used to do everything from just understand the consumer to test marketing material and ads hmm. to testing packaging. So like, if you're trying to figure out, you know, which, which two, you know, uh, you know, bottles uh, look better for your new beverage, you can test that on Perksy. So it does really depend. And, you know, one of the things I really, I really appreciate about what you just said about uh, emotional capital, especially, you know, talking, I could see why, why some of these larger deals you would land because, um, you know, I think that a lot of people just in general, especially when it comes to how they do marketing, 
just kind of like come up with ideas and they hear what the client says and then they wait for their turn to talk and they're like, well, here's my idea. But, but what you bring up, and this is probably, I'm assuming your method is that you really listen actively to what people are saying. And uh, most people I believe are hungry for active listeners. I think that most people just go through life with these conversations that are like one person waits for their turn to talk. And then the other person waits for their turn to talk instead of actively listening to somebody. And, and that, that builds up that, that, uh, you know, emotional capital. It, it creates a, a real bond when you, when someone feels like they're being heard. Yeah, I think listening is a really, really important part of it. Um, I think uh, my dad always did that, you know, two ears, two eyes, one mouth thing um, when I was a kid. And I think also, you know, he he's a psychiatrist. So I, I was raised by a father who was an excellent, excellent listener and, and taught me the power of listening. And um, I guess in his case, how healing listening can be. Um, especially for, for many of his patients. So I think I just, I just learned the power of, of listening. Sometimes it's about talking, sometimes it's about listening, but you can learn so much more about a person when you listen than when you talk. <laughs> and that that's basically the whole nature of your app is just listening to what people have to say, yeah, right? Yeah. Everybody. So that's really interesting. So, so I, I, I want to step back just a little bit and, and talk about how, first of all, how did you come up with this particular idea? And then, and, and what was the moment? I mean, it sounds like you've never had a normal job <laughs> per se, Nope. but was there, <laughs> so, so, so have you been kind of an entrepreneur your whole life? Yeah. So it's kind of one of those Steve jobs. You can't connect the dots. Uh, looking forward, but you can connect them looking back type of things. I don't think I ever really realized that I was an entrepreneur until I thought about that and looked back on it and then talked to my mom about it. I had done a podcast where that question was asked in, um, I think about 2018. And I remember asking my mom, I was like, mom, was I always an entrepreneur? She's like, I don't know, but I, I, you definitely were always a creator. You wanted to create things. I think the first great mm-hmm. example of me being a entrepreneur or, or I guess, um, show, showing any sort of entrepreneurial skills was when uh, I was at my grandma's house. So I would often go to my, my grandma's house where my, while my parents were at work. And I discovered something really amazing. And that was that one day I was walking in the park across the street from our house and I saw all of these people and they had stuff out on the lawn and they... They, it was like on the, sorry, on the lawn of the, uh, of the park and they were selling things. And I was like, wow, what, what, like, what is this? And I saw a sign that said, you know, like community wide garage sale. So people in the community had come and they had a giant garage sale in the park. And I was like, wow, I want to do this. So I marched home. <laughs> I walked into my grandma's house. I uh, curated items and then I, I laid them out on the front lawn and my grandma runs outside at one point very confused um, as to why all these people are on her front lawn and sees that I'm selling her perfectly good belongings. 
and is like i think i nice. i don't know how old i was i think i was maybe like eight or nine like i i can't recall exactly um i must have been I, probably eight or nine and um she was like what are you doing i'm like i'm having a garage sale and she was like no 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 for sale no for sale like no go like, try to get these people out of here um but that was the first time that i was like i want to sell things because it looks fun um, so maybe that was me being entrepreneurial inspired, having my own little business. Uh, but I, I think also, you know, in high school, I, I did similar things. Like I, uh, I actually bought goods from China online, waited like three oh, wow. months for in them. To, yeah, yeah. Waited like three months for them to arrive and then, um, sold them in, in school. And how did you do that? That wasn't through like Alibaba, right? How did you do that? Actually, it was. I, it was I, don't, okay. I think it was. I think it was DHgate actually. Okay. Um, like the yeah, first I think iteration. it was DHgate at the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was like super, super basic level. Like I actually just downloaded the DHgate app yesterday, and I was like, oh my god, like TBT, like this is a huge throwback. <laughs> I was like, but now there's an app. This is like, this is so funny. Um, yeah, so I did it on a really small scale, though. It wasn't like a real business, but I think I just, I like this. I, I didn't think about it then. I just like this concept of like being, there's something that brought me immense joy by being able to provide some someone with something that they want. Yeah, it reminds me, I, when I was, I used to be obsessed with garage sales as a kid as well, but I, at my grandma's house, <laughs> I spent a lot of time there. I used to, she used to live next to a golf course. So I would go collecting the golf balls that came into her yard and then sell them back to the golfers. And <laughs> that was my little, genius. <laughs> that was my hustle. That's actually so smart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that is true. Hustle. Um, I, I, I do want to get into, uh, you had a, you had a medical scare. So at some, uh, I want to hear like when this took place, kind of the details, but you, you, uh, well, just talk, talk about, cause you had a, you had a major health scare during your entrepreneurial journey. Like talk, talk about where, what happened and what that meant for your kind of your, um, your life. Yeah. So. What's really interesting about that is it also answers, like it also feeds into to one of your earlier questions, which is how I came up with the concept of Perksy. Um, so, you know, my my education has been like an abstract work of art. Everyone interprets it differently. Um, but effectively, you know, I've, I've gone to school twice. I started school in Canada when I was 17 um, and then dropped out to, to start my second company. And then after my third, I decided to go back to school. Um, so I started by taking some, some courses online at the Harvard Extension School and then saw that they uh, offered a, a full-time degree program. So someone from their academic advising had reached out and um, applied through that school uh, and got into the program and started full-time on campus um, after transferring my credits and some, some other things in uh, January of 2015. Um, so I had already had a, a semester under my belt which was kind of like the test semester and feeding those credits into um, into my degree. Uh, but when I was uh, full-time on campus, like fully doing school, so not splitting my time between school and company, uh, I, I ended up contracting uh, meningioencephalitis in, uh, in, uh, towards the end of February of, of that, that year. And to give you an idea of what that is, um, meningioencephalitis is a combination of meningitis and encephalitis. It's inflammation of the brain and the meninges surrounding the brain. So it can be caused by, you know, any any virus or bacteria. I had viral. Um, so, you know, something as simple as the common cold could have caused it. Uh, basically, the virus gets into uh, your spinal fluid and um, and infects your in your your brain and, and the meninges around your brain, and what happened? And you kind of need that for what you do, right? That's like an essential part of 
yeah. the process. Yeah. yeah. So I lost my memory. Um, that was, I think, the biggest shock for me. I've always had a really good memory. So this is a good example. You know, the TED Talk I delivered on Saturday, um, I finished writing it two days prior and memorized 18 minutes of content in like two days. That's always been like my thing. Like I was like, I've had a great, I have a great memory. And I remember just being like, just, just so, so emotionally distraught. Like I was just, I was, I was a wreck because I couldn't remember anything. And I was crying about it. I was like, oh my gosh, like my life is over. I can't remember things. Like I can't remember the names of, of my professors. I can't remember anything. Like, I, I can't remember my life. What, like, what was that like for you? It was... When, when you, it was dawning on you that, like, the tool was, like, not working. It, I think, so at first, while it was happening, it was terrifying. I remember, like, my dad sitting next to me, and he's like, you got to stop crying. You're rising. You're, like, your temperature is rising, and you're going to make the inflammation worse. And I was just, like, freaking out about it because I was like, I'm never going to be able to have a job. Like, I'm never going to get married. No one's going to love me. Like, my life is over. Um, I was freaking out because it's like my, your brain is, it's your window to the world. It's, it's just, it, you see everything through your brain. We think it's our eyes, but of course it's our brain processing. Like, I've always valued my brain more than anything else. Um, and I felt like I was losing it. Like, I felt like I didn't have that anymore. And I, my dad was, you know, he's a doctor. He was reassuring me, like, it's going to come back. It's going to be fine. But, you know, some people lose their hearing from meningitis. Some people, you know, they, they have, you know, long lasting side effects. Um, and I, I just, you know, I was young and I was very, very scared. And then once, as it was progressing, um, you know, once I was released from the hospital and in recovery, um, I was at home. I had someone who was coming to to bring me food and um, to change my sheets and things like that. But I was only awake for like four hours of every day. And it was just emptiness. It was it was just total emptiness. Like I wasn't thinking about the fact that I couldn't remember anything because there was just nothing like I I can only remember one particular moment um, and I can't fully remember it, but I weirdly can like I can't explain this memory um because I don't remember much else from that time frame but I just like I have this like visual image of what I saw when I was just lying in bed and just like staring at the ceiling and there being nothingness but it's interesting because my mom said so like like that summer I started Perksy and my my mom said she's like you know maybe it was it was like a weird blessing from the universe where the universe like knew or had a plan for you to create Percy and knew that in order to do that, you would need to sort of wipe your, your brain clean. <laughs> um, like I was just free of anxieties. Like I, 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 through that time frame as I was creating, there were a lot of things that I still didn't remember from my past. Like my memory came back over time. It did take time. Um, but it's, it's really interesting because there's this Bruce Lee quote I love. And as you can tell, I've quoted a bunch of people. So you can tell that I'm a, a quote nerd. Um, <laughs> but Bruce Lee said, empty your cup so that it may be filled again, become devoid to gain totality. So I just wonder if it was like clean slate. Yeah, maybe you forgot some of your limiting beliefs and some of that stuff and kept the good stuff. Now, how long were you in the hospital for? Um, were you in ICU? Like, what, what was that process? Um, so... I can't, I don't think it was ICU. I'll be honest, I can't fully remember. Um, however, I do know that when I, I first went to the hospital in Canada, so I wasn't sure if I was, so as a Canadian, you're not really sure how the American healthcare system works. So yeah. I knew that I was covered through Harvard, but I 
but I didn't know how. So my dad's like, look, just get on a plane, come home and like, we'll figure out when you're here. But like, we need to go to hospital immediately. Cause the first thing that happened was I got a headache that was so bad. Um, you know, when they ask you at the doctor, like, Oh, like, like what's the level of pain? Like, is it a, especially when it's a headache, they're like, is it like a, a level 10 headache? And you're like, uh, I don't know. I mean, like, like maybe, maybe like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, is it a seven? Like, I don't know. So I now know how to answer that question. It was a level 10. <laughs> You're like, now you, now you had a level 10. I thought I was having a stroke. Like my, yeah. I felt like someone like, like bashed my head, like took, swung me by my feet wow. into a wall and bashed my head. And I was screaming. Huh. Um, and so I, it, it dissipated after a few hours, but then I, like, I called my dad and I was like, this just happened. Like, like, I don't know what to do. He's like, come home. So I, I flew home. I first went to a hospital in, in Canada, um, Toronto general hospital, uh, and then my dad had called Harvard to figure out more about the, the healthcare, you know, set up. And they were like, okay, you're covered. You're good. So um, I then was flown to Boston and I went to MassGen. And the, also, I'll just say the care was awesome. Like, it was just amazing. Um, but that's where they diagnosed Oh, America has great care if you can afford it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that's, it, it was it, that there's a whole other subject, but as a Canadian, I was exposed to American healthcare for the first time when you're, when you're covered under a plan, um, especially, you know, great coverage, uh, through school. But, um, you know, that's where I was diagnosed with meningitis. And, um, I don't know how long I was there. I think in, I was maybe in the hospital for, um, about a week, but one of the things that ended up happening was that once they diagnosed it and figured out what could be done, um, that's when your coverage stops. So that's, I think that's the core difference between also the U S and Canada. We treat, we treat active symptoms. We don't treat preventative care. That's a kind of factor. Yeah. yeah. So, so once it was figured out and I was being put on treatment for like, you know, I think it was a few days later, it was like, look like, you know, um, you're covered for X time frame. Um, after that point you can, you know, you have a choice, you can either pay out of pocket or the alternative is, you know, we can, you know, you can be set up with care at home and, you know, it's just, you know, you can solve the problem that way. And, you know, here's what you have to take every day, et cetera. Um, and so, I, you know, naturally I opted for that, um, would have been, you know, too expensive, uh, for, for myself and, and my fam to, to stay in the hospital. Um, so then I just did, uh, I, I did home care. So that's where I was, you know, just kind of asleep for, for about a month. Um, wow. yep. so it took some, it took some time. So did did your did your memory come back to the degree that it was? Well, yeah, obviously it, it did, but <laughs> how did that how did that happen? It did, yeah. So it it did, but um, one of the the hard things was that so during that period it hasn't fully come back. So I realized that now, like it, it's almost like someone like severed a couple like threads in in the memory chain in my brain. Um, so it takes a bit longer to do certain memory recall from that time period. And like basically the, the three months leading up to it. Um, and some information is a bit hazy. It, it takes me a while, but I like, it, it took some time. So the hardest thing was my vocabulary. So it took about six months for my vocabulary to come back. I remember this one time, you know, after I decided to start Perksy, which was over the summer, um, you know, cause I had to make up one of my courses cause um, it was, it, you know, I had to drop out of, of one of them that was cumulative and, and I couldn't just go in and write the final exams, um, a bit later. Uh, and the hard thing about that was, um, well, I just forgot what I was saying, so I'm just going to restart. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, that's appropriate for the conversation. Yeah, um, exactly. 
Oh, the vocabulary. So, you know, the hard <laughs> the hard part with um, my vocabulary is that it actually took six months to to get back. I remember this one time I was super super embarrassed because I did have a meeting with an investor in Silicon Valley, and it was within the six month time frame. And I was trying to think of a word, and this word was so basic, and it just couldn't come to me. I just I could not access the memory of this word. And I was just, I was mortified because it was so basic. And I came up with it after like two minutes, but I like, I, it was, it was just this awkward silence. I was embarrassed. And then I had to proceed to be like, Hey, so I had this thing happen to me. Um, and I swear I'm not an idiot. Like it's just, this thing happened to me. It was just, I ended up digging myself in a hole, but, um, uh, good thing we're friends. But. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do want to share just because, um, my, my story has some parallels where I, I had, um, I was in the ICU for two months with a condition called ARDS, which is uh, acute respiratory distress syndrome, where my lungs were very damaged because I almost drowned in dirty water. Really? I thought, um, I thought that was when oh, no. you got in, infested with like this pirate virus where... That's right, ARDS. Yes. Yeah, yeah. No, but, uh, but the point is, <laughs> ever since then, <laughs> I've had, yeah. Andres is hilarious. That's some <laughs> solid comedy right there, buddy. Uh but ever since then, I've had <laughs> I've had my own memory deficiencies and struggles, and it's funny because my entrepreneurial my main entrepreneurial journey I would say my like bigger um, bigger journey started after the accident, so I've also kind of had to deal with these like I, I have to write everything down now. Like I used to I used to be able to watch movies and recite entire movies and like kind of what you described as like learning a talk and then being able to recite it a day later. I, my brain isn't it's still like pretty decent, but it's not what it was. So it's a, it's kind of a having to adapt yeah, to what we're would, given now and make those adjustments. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's quite interesting. I mean, like, I think that I, it took a while for, for my memory to get back to the place where it once was. Um, but I think a lot of that has come from just like clearing out the mind. Like I, I will say that I think that experience, while it affected my memory in some ways, in other ways it improved them. My ability to retain information, um, like new information after that, was incredible. Like incredible. So I had, you know, that summer I took a marketing management class, which was an HBS class adapted for undergraduate credit during Harvard Summer School. And my ability to retain new information was insane. So this is like a super, this is like a superhero origin story then. So. Yeah, but it was, it, but the, that's kind of like what my mom said about, you know, maybe this, like this kind of needed to happen. Like, because the yeah. thing, like the amount of information that I would need to process and learn in order to build this company, especially net new information, um, it was just like, it was just volumes and volumes. And I think in a weird way, it was like, it helped me. Like it gave me an advantage because I was able to learn a lot in a short period of time and figure out how to build this product. And, you know, I wasn't really, I think it's, you know, what you said earlier resonated, like it like literally gave me goosebumps, which is like letting go of a lot of limiting beliefs. Like, mm -hmm. I think I just, I think I just kind of like, I wasn't thinking about anything old. I was just thinking about the new, like I was like, what's next, what's next. And I think it also changed my relationship with like my life. And like the way I was taking care of myself, I was like, I need to start sleeping eight to nine hours yeah. per night, which I do now. Like I just changed my relationship with sleep, with like exercise. Like I just, I started taking care of myself in a new way because I'm like literally YOLO. Like you only live once and like 
make sure that 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 once is enough. Not if you're a Hindu. <laughs> yes, it's true. Or or a cat. Yeah, but that's true. That's true. Um, yeah. And so- two exceptions to that rule. Well, we're, we're creeping up towards the end of the show a little bit, but I, I just want to I want to go back to uh, Perksy uh, just for a second because one of the things that uh, I think is really interesting is specifically that you seem to focus on like Gen X and Gen Z. I'd like to know what Gen Y and Gen Z. Gen Y and Gen Z. What what is what is the because uh, they're they're hard to market to. What what do you see as patterns on how they navigate through the world? Like where where are these guys leading us? And can you identify those years real quick if you if you have that in front of you just to yeah. for the listeners? Yeah. Yeah. So um Millennials are born between about 1980 and 1996. That's me. Um, and Gen Z is born between about 1997 and the 2010s. Um, but one of the things, you know, I'll, I'll say to that is I don't think that they're hard to market to if you're paying attention, like if you're actively trying to to learn and understand. I think yeah. they're only hard to market to when you're not putting in the time. I think any marketer that's focusing on this and cares deeply about understanding anyone. I mean, technically, like, you know, if you're not a new mom, new moms could be hard to market to. Yep. So it's really just about working to understand your audience. And I think that's how marketers can unlock success for themselves by really, you know, taking the time to get to know their audience and, and not just like no ish. I mean, like a really get to know, like what, what motivates them, what drives them, like spend time getting to know them by talking to them. So, you know, most, most millennials were raised by baby boomers and most Gen Zers were, were raised by Gen Xers. Um, you know, millennials were, uh, grew up during an economic boom. Gen Z grew up during a, a recession. So the way that they think about, you know, money is going to be different. Millennials are going to be much more idealistic. An economic boom means, hey, prosperity. You know, we see mm-hmm. you can do anything. You can be anything. For Gen Z, you know, they're, they're much more financially savvy. Um, I think they're a lot more focused on, on saving money as well. Um, you know, I, I think it's a huge myth that they are not financially savvy or, or, or fiscally responsible. I think that, you know, the fact that they've seen their, their, their parents uh, live through a recession makes them acutely aware of um, financial hurdles and, and how they can show up. But I think the fact that they also saw, you know, many of them saw their parents come out of it also makes them more optimistic about their financial futures. But as a result, like they are focused on education and uh, I don't have I don't have data on this, but I, I'd be curious because um, the trend that I kind of see is almost like a shift from your the United States has always been an individual individualistic type of culture, and it seems like Gen Z and some of the younger demographic generations are almost shifting into this more collectivist kind of mindset. Do you see that, or like how, what is does your data reflect anything in that in that regard? I'm just kind of curious in that respect. So I would say yes. I typically don't like making blanket statements yeah. in general because I believe in micro trends. Um, like you know, just just looking at things per region or, or per 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 group. Sometimes like very specific age demographics within a larger demographic. Um, so, but I, I will say, like on the whole, yes. Uh, one of the things that you know is is a good example of this is how. Gen Zers sort of, you know, band together to fiercely support their peers, even those that are like, look, I don't, you know, I identify as a female, but I, I firmly believe that my friend who's a female has the right to identify as a male. And it's just the way that they are fiercely supportive of their peers. I think the way that they, they think about their generation, I do think that it is 
it is collectivist. Um, you know, but I will say that that's from opinion, um, on the data side. I think it, I think it depends. Um, it depends on, on the topic. It depends on, on the region, even, um, you know, it depends on, on even going higher, you know, we're in, we're in different countries. It depends on the country. Uh, but nope. in general, I, I think they do have a bit of a, a cohesiveness. So, how you were raised to and all that. But uh, what I also see is that this, um, with a lot of marketers that that say that they don't know how to market to millennials or Gen Z, a lot of it is that they 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 want Gen Z and millennials to to kind of mold to their ways and they're not being adaptable. So I think part of it is just showing a little bit of empathy and, totally and being right. adaptable to that other generation's um, values and mindsets, right? Yeah, we used to live in this world where, uh, you know, companies would create products and then spend a lot of money on marketing, trying to convince consumers to to buy them. And I mean, we still kind of live in that world, but I think there there's much more of a, a shift. Like there's, there's a bit of a paradigm shift where um, consumers really are in the driver's seat. Like now it's consumers identify a trend. We have social media and, you know, uh, Thing, like, you know, we have Twitter now and Instagram where everyone can hear about this trend and then companies can respond to it. Um, you know, a good example is, is, you know, one company is successful with, I'll use a really, really basic example, but like, uh, you know, matcha, something like matcha. And then suddenly there's matcha in everything. You know, you can pick up on these trends much more quickly, but they're really popularized yeah. by consumers more than they're popularized by brands. More so like the consumer demand, berries. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so like consumer demand, I think, is driving um driving the creation of products uh, and, and even influencing marketing much more uh, than it used to, right? Like the, the, the mad men didn't, didn't think this way, but the way yeah. marketers and advertisers think today is, is very different. Um, so I, I do believe that. Yeah. No, how, how big, like how big have you grown this company to? I'm just kind of curious, like, I know you, do you have any vision of taking it public or, I mean, I imagine it's still private at this point. Like what kind of, uh, how big is the, is the company now? Um, so it is, it is private. So we've grown the company um, from, so we, we launched in uh, January of 2018. We, we kind of soft launched uh, with just three people. So we were just a team of three, myself, my head of product and, and um, uh, head of engineering. And we grew to about 23 customers, most of them being test customers that year. Um, in 2019, uh, we scaled that to about 79 customers and majority are Fortune 500. So I think for our type of business and enterprise business, uh, um, or an enterprise, uh, a business that serves enterprise, um, it was pretty, pretty significant. You know, we're still small, but but actively growing. Um, you know, we've, we've expanded the product, um, added, you know, new types of features. We don't just do quantitative now, but we also do qualitative. Um, you know, our aim really is to be the Adobe suite of market research products, um, really a- across the board. So whenever you think research, you know, you, you think Perksy, that's, that's what we aim to be. Um, but also, you know, a, a, a just a new type of consumer app in, in the, in the, the consumer world. So we're launching into uh, six new countries, actually, um, towards the end of this year. And so we're we're hyper focused on uh, on building Android because, you know, the, the adoption of Android is a lot higher in in some other countries. And we need yeah, to make sure true. that we have that. Um, but it's kind of one of those just like grow where you're planted things like it started off as like, you know, take it 
take it step by step. I mean, I think the market and our customers will dictate our direction. I think we're, we do a great job of listening to our customers um, and trying to, to figure out where they want us and where they want us to play. And I think the future of the company um, will really be driven and dictated by what our customers want from us, which is, you know, what we argue they should be doing as well. I have one last question to kind of ask, and then we can kind of get into our closing segment or Andres can ask another question here. But um, we had a guest on either a week or two ago that was a, a blockchain specialist. And we, we talked about this idea that um, it's becoming more more accepted that the 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 person producing the content is the one that's generating money for these companies. And like the, we, we were talking about this idea that like there could be some kind of a crypto, uh, some kind of a, a blockchain coin that could start paying the content producers um, for driving traffic to like, you know, sites like Facebook and things like that. And like ways of like where the, the whole entire script is flipped kind of like what you started here, but in the, in the, in the area of like cryptocurrency blockchain, I'm just curious if you've like looked into that at all. um, If what I'm saying makes sense to you or not. (laughs) Yeah. So I will, like, I don't, I don't know that much about that. Um, okay. I, I can't really speak to that. I'm not an expert in that space. Um, I think I'm probably where everyone else is when it comes to blockchain. I'm not ahead of the curve. Uh, I think, you know, we're still learning about it, but you know, the way that we think about solving problems is we think about solving problems for, uh, for today and for like the, the very imminent future. So like what, like within the next few years, um, what do we need to prioritize now? I think that like with emerging platforms and new technologies, we'll sort of respond to them as they come along. And um, again, it's really just coming down to like what our, what our customers want to see and like what the, the, the industry and the, the um, technology landscape is kind of demanding. And I agree that that real shift is probably 10 to 20 years away. So it's, uh, I, I understand that. Yeah. You're focused on the immediate future. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Well, yeah. well, we, we did run research with consumers to understand the demand for blockchain and most of them either didn't know what it was and therefore did not see themselves like like did not see how blockchain could integrate into their lives so i think it might be one of those things that's like really truly driven by the the producers of the technology um you know i think it will show up in subtle ways at first um and those who did know what it was you know even still many of them were just like i i can't see myself like fundamentally doing things differently because of blockchain like you know I just, I think, I think that the the use case for blockchain is, is really, really interesting um, in um, like specific industries um, in ways that consumers don't always experience firsthand. Yeah. So we'll have to wait and see with that one. Yeah. So uh, b- the last question I have for you is, is really, it's a bit more broad, but I, I'd like to, you know, the, the things are, are, are shifting so rapidly. I mean, the Me Too movement just like popped up, boom, you know, and some of these movements are happening really fast. So you were saying about how things are consumer driven, but I also think that one of the things that this, that, that especially Gen Z is, is figuring out uh, and, and millennials to, to the same degree is that things can shift almost immediately through quick social movements. And, and uh, so, so what do you sense, especially looking at the big data from bigger data set, how do you see these younger people moving into the 21st slash 22nd century 
And and where is where do you see it going? Like as far as a global movement type of thing, can you speak to that? At I all? mean, that's a it's a tough question to answer um, because it depends. It depends what you mean. Like in what way, right? So are we thinking from you know how they how they buy products, or are we thinking about you know how they how they see the world? I mean, I a long time ago. Um, and I think that this statement is is much more relevant for this time period than the time period um, when I originally read it. But um, I think it was actually Bloomberg magazine had this uh, cover and it stuck with me visually. It said, um, the kids will be all right. And I just kind of thought about that. And it's stuck with me for a very long time. I think that's true for the younger generations. I honestly think that the way that they see the world right now is very much that like, like this is a world that we need to, that we're going to be living in and we need to start taking action on the things that matter to us if we want to see true change. Um, I think that the younger generation is definitely empowered and that's why we have so many young people that are standing up and contributing to these global causes. I mean, look, you've, you've got Greta Thunberg, like you've got these, these young folks that are stepping up and saying, Hey, I want to hear, I want my voice to be heard. And, you know, I'm speaking for my generation and then their peers rising up and saying, you know, I stand by this, this individual, or I stand by this, this cause, or like, we, we need to think about sustainability and we need to think about global climate change. Um, and so, I mean, I think it's a lot easier to speak to that in a broad sense, because, you know, of course it is really hard to predict future behavior, especially because of what you said, um, you can have paradigm shifts. So, you know, tomorrow we could have a new technology that emerges that fundamentally changes the way all of us buy products or the way we interact or this or that. And we, we don't know what it's going to be. It could be completely vertical innovation um, rather than a horizontal one. Um, but in terms of, I think, mindset, I think that the way we can expect these younger audiences to move, like, I guess, grow and develop and move forth in this world is with a mindset that is very much um, driven by, actually you kind of spoke to it earlier, collectivism, as in like we all live in this world and we need to work on it together. Um, and kind of banding together on the important social causes that are validated by, um, I would say like peer consent. Like being like, it sounds like everyone agrees, this is the thing we need to be talking about. So let's get talking about it and let's work to do something. And I think I, I do have a lot of, I do have a lot of hope for, um, that younger generation and, and them being, you know, true game changers. Yeah, I do too. And it's especially because, you know, there's this realization that, you know, the, the Muslims aren't going anywhere. The blacks aren't going anywhere. The whites aren't going anywhere. Nobody's going anywhere. We're all here on this planet and we got to share it and we got to share resources and uh, we've got to, we've got to save the planet. It's, it, it comes down to that. We won't survive. So I, I, I'm, I'm hopeful as well. Um, and, and I think that, that we are, at a, at a turning point for the species where we have to really decide what we're going to be in the future and, and how we're going to show up as, as you were saying. But um, uh, this, this was a fantastic conversation. Uh, lots of luck with the company. Uh, let's, uh, let's take two seconds here to, um, so for, for Nadia, so uh, anyone that wants to download the Perksy app, it's available in the Apple app store. And so it's Perksy P E R K S Y. The website is get Again, that's uh P E R K S Y. So get G E T P E R K S Y.com. Um, how else can people get in touch with you, Nadia? What's the best way? 
They can follow me on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, my handle is the same on both. It's at Nadia, N-A-D-I-A, Jen, G-E-N, uh, Masri, M-A-S-R-I. Um, and feel free to to give me a shout. If anyone wants to be a brand ambassador, we're always hiring interns, always looking for great talent. Um, and I love people, so always happy to connect. And make sure to mention that you heard her on Marketing Geeks. That's right. Yes. <laughs> That's right. Well, yeah, got to get that attribution. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Terrific. So uh, finally, uh, last round, what, uh, what are you geeky about right now? So right now, I mean, I'm, I'm like, I nerd out on so many things. I can't even begin to explain. Um, I love to read, so I'm always <laughs> reading something new. But one thing that is constant in my life is... I'm a huge, huge Harry Potter nerd, like the <laughs> largest Harry Potter nerd. Um, it comes up in the subtlest of moments. Um, you know, I'll just drop a, a Dumbledore quote or, you know, something by Sirius Black. But uh, I, when I was younger, I just, I adored the books. I would read them cover to cover. And every, every December, I do the exact same thing. I read the books start to finish. Um, and this year I did it in about, two weeks. So I was pretty proud of myself. Nice. Uh, given everything else that was going wow. on. Yeah. And then also all the, all the books. Yes. So how many books? There's seven books, right? Um, yeah. So basically wow. went through all of them and uh, then was able to watch all of the films. So that was, that was really great. So one of the things I'm really excited about is like, like my dream in life is just to do any kind of research with soup, like Harry Potter super fans. So if you're a Harry Potter super fan, like definitely reach out. Cause like I have this, like, <laughs> I've, I've just inspired a new idea. Like I want to create like a super fan research group. Uh, so we could just be like, how can we create cool Harry, Pro Harry Potter products and bring them to the world? Outside of that, oh, my so cool. <laughs> outside of that, um, what I'm nerding out hard on right now is um, I've been researching uh, GABA and uh, glutamine oh, yeah. and their effects on the brain. So one of the things, if you have trouble sleeping, is is looking into GABA, 5-HTP, and melatonin and figuring out how you can optimize your, your sleep hygiene by using natural things. So, oh, that's great. Um, that's, yeah. yeah, so I'm big on like biohacking and, and so, yeah. which is such a buzzword. Oh. But still, I'm into that. I'm into that too, and and uh, uh, that's a whole other conversation. Uh, if <laughs> well, I got I got to connect you with uh, with my my sister in law, who I mentioned my my uh, my wife's brother's wife is also a super nerd in Harry Potter. So maybe maybe you two will hit it off here. But <laughs> oh my god, totally. Um, and uh, and <laughs> and uh, Justin, what are you geeky about right now? Well, it's interesting because like Harry Potter, there's like two cultural trends, like big cultural trends that I just missed the boat on. One of them is Harry Potter. The other one I would say is like Game of Thrones, which I've never watched an episode of. Oh, um, I've never seen a Harry Potter movie. So I'm like, I, I feel bad almost, but I, I'm like just not in, I'm not, I just don't have the knowledge base on those two topics. You know, um, but, I, ac I actually haven't watched the final season because I heard that some people were disappointed. You heard so much bad stuff. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. I was actually really happy with how the, the penultimate season ended. So I was like, in my mind, it finished like kind of the way I wanted it to finish. Yeah. So don't, don't ruin a good thing. Don't, don't like program. Yeah. You, like we, we talked about, like we only want your brain to have, you know, your, our brains to have positive thoughts. So let's not, let's not ruin a good thing here. <laughs> I haven't uh, watched the last episode for that very reason. Interesting. So, well, for me yeah. though, my geekiness, um, I'm really into, I, 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 re, I just got HBO back and I've been watching the show McMillions and it's, it's about the, um, 
the people that were rigging the Monopoly game at McDonald's in the late 90s, early 2000s, and how the FBI got involved and they ran like a sting operation where they were, uh, they act, they, they posed as a film crew and they would go interview the, the past winners and pretend like they were doing like uh, testimonial stories kind of thing, like about their winning stories. But what they had found out was behind the scenes, they had found out that all the winners for like five or 10 years, uh, anyone that had won $25,000 or more had a familial connection. They all had different last names, but they all had a family blood connection. And so I, I'm still watching it. I haven't seen the whole thing. Wow. Um, but the early suspect right now is the uh, is a, is an internal person that worked for the outsourced marketing company. So uh, I don't want to. I won't give any more spoilers beyond that. But that's the suspect. But I don't know for sure who done it yet. So <laughs> I got to finish this show. But it's a it's an interesting show. It's well done. It, it's a five or six part miniseries. I'm gonna I'm gonna check that out. I actually I'm going old school. I just finished reading my to my five year old. The uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Oh my God, I love C.S. Lewis. I, yes, I, that one I did read. Yeah, and and it, that was actually the very first book I read on my own. Was like a full book. It, it was among the first for me. Also, it was among the first. It's 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 a great you know it's a great it's a it's a really good story. But uh, one of the things that I was super happy about because believe it or not, uh, you're gonna you're gonna love this, Nadia. I I I am getting him ready for Harry Potter. So the first <laughs> wow. that, that I read to him like a chapter, you know, every night and he loved it. He, he really was into it. And then I showed him the movie and, you know, he was into that, but I, I was also really happy because it's like, okay, so now my son can like really appreciate a novel, right? Yeah. In this day and age, like he can, hear a, an entire novel he knows he can read a novel so but uh but the whole purpose of me doing that uh is that uh next uh when he's a little bit older like seven i think uh he's he's going to meet harry potter for the first time so this was like the training ground so i was geeky about the fact that uh i did that so uh with that uh nadia any any last thoughts you want to leave us with uh before we wrap up the show uh, no, uh, no, no last thoughts. I think you guys asked fantastic questions. And I guess the most important thing that I want to uh, leave with everyone, especially, you know, marketers who are listening is just remember that the, the best way to market is from a place of understanding and building emotional capital with others, but, but also understanding that when you, when you take the time to really, really get to know your audience, um, that's, I think that's where the most marketing success comes from. So you can learn all the tips and tricks and strategies in the world. Um, but at the end of the day, marketing is about people. Um, and if you don't understand people, you don't understand business. So, um, just leaving that there. Love it. Yeah. Nadia Massery, everybody. Thank you, uh, thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, how do you feel, man? Are you complete? Yeah, I think that was a really great interview with uh, with Nadia Masri, and I'm I'm very um, I believe strongly in what she's doing with that company. I think the future of marketing is incentive based to the consumer. Yeah. So whether that looks like what she's doing with like gift cards that you get rewarded to for taking surveys, or or again whatever fun fun documents or whatever she calls them, <laughs> um, or you uh, or you get some kind of a blockchain, you get paid to share content. I just see the future of marketing being the consumer first and the platform second. And I think that that shift is starting to take place and it, it might take five years, but that that's where we're going. 
Yeah. Well, I think the future of marketing geeks is um, the future of marketing. So (laughs) that, ladies and gentlemen. Another fine episode (laughs) of Marketing Geeks. Uh, How are we doing? You you know, you can, I've had people reach out to me on LinkedIn. It's great. I love that. That so makes my day. You can do that. Yeah. Uh, And uh, we're finally getting the website up and running, man. Finally. Yeah, yeah. The website should be up by the time you hear this episode. The new website should be up, up and running much more efficiently. Uh, Makes it easy for somebody to apply to be a guest on the show or leave feedback for us. Let us know how we're doing. Listen to episodes. We're going to be, you know, we're taking the next level. I know we've been saying that probably for about a year now. But it's, uh, it's happening. It's happening. The, the worlds are converging yeah. and uh, coming you know together. We're, we're so busy marketing that um, sometimes it's hard to do the little things like. <laughs> it really is. It really is. I, I've had more client work recently than I've had in quite a while. So it, it does. It does make things difficult. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm uh, I'm 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 feverishly making content uh, and reach out to us on LinkedIn and uh yeah, everything's good, man. Yeah, we need to hear from you because we want to give more shout outs on the show. So reach out. Yeah, reach out on LinkedIn. Let us know how we're doing. And with that, stay classy. Marketing geeks, come on, bring your friends. We'll learn marketing from distant lands. Understood, and Justin Womack. The fun will never end. It's marketing geeks. Marketing geeks.